it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hang on a minute. Who put you in charge? And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelberus. I'm 903 years old and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case... Hello, Z! Would you like a jelly baby? and welcome to a very special breaking news announcement from Who True Freaks. Hi everyone, I am Sean Engel, I'm one of your freaky hosts, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about something incredible that has happened in the world of Doctor Who. And in order to uh, celebrate what's happening in the world of Doctor Who, I've got a couple of great Whovians from the podcast to come along and talk about this. First of all, the irredeemable one, Shag, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Very excited to be here to talk about this. And from a person who's very acquainted with the Doctor across the pond, we've got Mr. Stephen Lacey. Hey, Stephen. Hello there. Thank you guys for uh, joining for this. Yeah, this is something that we just kind of whipped up really quick. There was some really impressive breaking news that came out of uh, the UK just uh, a couple of days ago from recording time. And we thought that even though it was... uh, just amazing news it might not be something that we want to sit on till the next recording so we're going to get out this little uh, quick recording out uh, to tell you all about what's going on in the world of doctor who so go ahead and take it away gentlemen all right sure thing well everyone knows it's the 50th anniversary of doctor who and most of the big news and all the exciting news is leading up to the november 23rd special well it turns out there's some big news about the classic series that doesn't happen too often the fact is, the show's been, you know, over now for a number of years. So to have something big to talk about is kind of a, kind of an impressive situation. I'll cut to the chase. They have found nine episodes 
of the Patrick Trodden era that have been pre- previously lost up until this point. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a few minutes. But the, the news is the serials The Enemy of the World and The Web of Fear, who pretty much have gone unseen for the most part since their original airing, have been found. You've got episodes of The, of the Enemy of the World, episodes 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6, have been found. And with the existing episodes of that one, you now have the complete story of Enemy of the World available. The Web of Fear, which was a Yeti episode and the first ever episode with the Brigadier, they found episodes 2, 4, 5, and 6. Along with the existing episode of that, they've got nearly a complete set. They're only missing one episode of The Web of Fear. Now, with this news uh, of these nine episodes, they've actually busted the 100 mark. For, for a number of years, there's been over 100 episodes missing of the classic Doctor Who series. And now they've finally gotten us down to 97. So uh, this is the most significant find in years. Now, you know, I'm going to actually pass it off to Stephen for just a second here, and we'll come back and talk more about them. They had a, they had a big press conference, a big unveiling. Um, and But Stephen, why don't you give us the context of why this is important? Yeah, so uh, the missing Doctor Who episodes is one of those things where looking at it from modern eyes, you go, how on earth could this happen? This is the equivalent of being told, oh yeah, you can watch all of the first season of Star Trek, but you can't watch City on the Edge of Forever and... Um, the the Horter episode you, you just can't do them, they don't exist anymore we showed them once and that was it. Uh, it it's it's all to do with how the BBC was set up in the 1960s and the view on television was that if something was shown it was shown and then that was it, it was never seen again, the idea of uh, repeats was not ingrained into the structure of television at the time because the UK at that time only had uh, I want to say th- yeah it was three television channels full stop for the entire country unlike where, the way that the US is set up with the major networks and you've got regional stations that have a mixture of their own programming and network programming you've got the syndicated television model which allows for shows to be sold and resold after they've originally been shown that none of that exists in the UK and certainly in the 1960s when things like the home video market was not even something that could be conceived of the idea was you chose something and then that was it. Um, now, obviously, if you're creating a lot of television on film as it was in the 60s, then you've got to store it somewhere. And canisters of film are big and bulky and require a lot of space to store, so there's only a finite space available. There's also a thing where film is very expensive, or film was very expensive. Uh, so the economically minded went, well, instead of just having all this film sitting around gathering dust, we can wipe it and reuse the film. So it became a common practice that once something was shown on TV, the film was wiped and uh, it was something else was recorded over it. Before that happened, however, and this is how we've got into this situation we're in where things are being recovered, the tapes were copied for international sales. Whilst British TV sales were nowhere near compared to what was happening with, say, the American TV sales to other markets. There was interest in a lot of the shows being produced. Things like The Avengers, uh, as one big example of a British show that became quite big worldwide. Doctor Who didn't really sell to America in the 60s, but other territories took it. Um, This practice of the wiping continued into the 1970s. There are actually some missing John Pertwee episodes that don't exist in colour. Uh, which is why certain stories like The Mind of Evil have taken so long to come to DVD because they've existed in black and white and they've taken time to bring up. I think the first episode of In 
Agent of the Dinosaurs doesn't exist properly as well, and it's, had, it's taken a lot of time to reconstruct that. In the early to mid 70s, uh, a gentleman who we'll hear more of throughout the show, Ian Levine, managed to persuade the BBC in terms of Doctor Who to stop wiping, and then the BBC in general started going, "No, we're not going to, st- uh, we're not going to be wiping this," whereas they realised that the value of resale and the value of repeat, as in, if you can repeat something, you don't need to make half an hour's uh, worth of television. Towards the end of the 70s, as the video recorders started becoming available, the home video market started to exist, the BBC started to take stock of what it had across the whole of the BBC. So it wasn't like all of Doctor Who was just locked in one cupboard and every time they made a new serial they added it in. Doctor Who episodes existed in the BBC but across many different departments and locations. So a big consolidation exercise took place. Um, and basically, sort of by about 1981, it's all been consolidated and there was a list of what the BBC owned and what the BBC didn't. And that list was quite long in terms of what was missing. Some of the region about 130-ish episodes, most of which from the Patrick Chat and William Hartnell eras. And then things started to come back because with uh, things like the Doctor Appreciation Society and Doctor Who magazine starting to publish details of this, people started looking at their collections. So the first episode to come back was in 82. It was an, uh, it was an episode of The Abominable Snowman, which came from a, a private collection of a BBC film projectionist where he'd realised, oh, I'm probably sitting on something that's worth it. Then across the 80s, more things started to turn up. Um, so uh, a good story is in 83, two episodes of the Daleks' master plan were found in the basement of a Mormon church in South London. Uh, and no one has ever worked out why the hell those episodes were there. <laughs> um, the first kind of um, episodes came from within the UK. However, things started turning up abroad as people started to realise, hold on, if things were sold abroad, does that mean copies are abroad? So Australia started to turn things up. They came up with an episode of Celestial Toymaker. Uh, Cyprus had Half of the Reign of Terror, one of the very first William Hartnells. And throughout the 80s, things would turn up. Um, Sometimes it would be a single episode, like we've got one episode of Evil of the Daleks. Others at times it would be most of the story. In 88, The Ice Warriors, four episodes of that were turned up. Well, don't forget, there's also times where just four or five second clips would turn up and they have to be fairly violent clips that people had cut out but yeah. when they broadcasted in their country. It was interesting. They, they felt like that scene was too violent, so they cut it out. The episode got lost, but that clip would survive. Yeah, and there's other things like we we don't have episode four of the 10th planet, which is the last William Hartnell story, which contains the regeneration. But we do have the regeneration because uh, before it was wiped, a snippet of the regeneration scene was sent to the, uh, Blue Peter, a kids TV show, uh, for a feature on the, the Doctors to celebrate the 10th anniversary. Um, probably the most significant find before the recent events was in 1992, when uh, in Hong Kong, all four episodes of The Tomb of the Cybermen, a story thought to be completely lost and regarded as one of the high points, not only of Pat uh, Trump, but of Doctor Who in general, all four episodes were returned. And that, that was, was a huge that, moment. I was going to say, that was a huge deal. And that's actually the first one I remember personally being like a huge find and, and freaking out and getting the video and everything. That was the first one of a huge, huge find that I actually remember as being something worthwhile. And I, to, that's, to this day, it's still one of my favorite stories. Um, and then it kind of it kind of held off. So the first one I remember was when it was reported that an episode of The Crusade, another mm. William Hartnell historical with Julian Glover, 
um, is a very notable guest star in that. So the first episode of that was recovered in 1999. Then there was nothing until 2004 when another episode of Dalek's Master Plan was recovered. Um, and then that was it for seven years. And then two years ago, in late 2011, it was announced that two more episodes have been recovered. This was one episode of a William Hartnell story and one episode of a Patrick Trant story. And this was the first time that the announcement of a missing episode being recovered was treated as a big event. So it's the first one that's happened since the series had returned. And every year at the BFI, the British Film Institute, they hold a, a, a festival of... Uh, they call it Missing Presumed Wiped and it's a festival celebrating anything that's been recovered uh, from all the archives it isn't just Doctor Who that's missing a notable British TV sitcom called Dance Army is missing several early episodes there are plenty of one-off dramas and things like that so they every year they hold a celebration of what's been recovered as people are looking around the world and the big news after that was hey we've got two episodes and oh look we're showing them on the big screen and I've got friends who were there who kind of nearly passed out in delight at what had happened and well, that was it until... I, have to, I, I have to share a piece of Gallifrey 1 last year they did something like that they showed an episode of Galaxy 4 before it came out on the DVD and um, that was not worth the wait I have to say <laughs> was... well, some of these older episodes don't hold up which is fair to say was it just the presentation or was it just the uh, content it was the content it, okay. it, it was a silly episode of okay. Galaxy 4 and it's a shame that we waited all those years to, to recover it and you put it in a room full of 3,000 Doctor Who fans and they're going to treat it like MST3K um, <laughs> but this this find is an entirely different situation wouldn't you say Stephen? it absolutely is um Patrick Tratton is the Doctor who's been hit worse by this and indeed season 5 uh, or series 5 was the most hit out of his entire run um to the point where there was, uh, up until recently, there was only one complete story from that series. And Series 5 is known as the Monster Series. You've got two Cybermen stories, two Yeti stories. You've got the introduction of the Ice Warriors. You've got the, the underwater monster from the Underwater Maze. So then you have the Enemy of the World. It's this one abnormally, uh, one uh, abnormal episode story Sorry, within that. So to be able to restore these two stories to that is fantastic. The Enemy of the World is the first one to be shown. Uh, in that series, it's uh, the Doctor versus uh, a dictator in the 21st century who looks exactly like him. So it's it's a double episode. But unlike the last time they'd mess around with doubles, where um, William Hartnell's Doctor looked like the Abbot, uh, a bad guy in the oh, I forget the story, Massacre of Saint Bartholomew's Eve, where basically the first Doctor was written out, and then you're following this person who Stephen believes is the Doctor, but it turns out isn't. This actually features the two Doctors encountering each other quite a bit so early split screen technology and stuff like that it's um but none almost none of that has existed so it's been great that we've got that and then the web of fear is i think one of the most notable finds i'm, I'm not sure what could be more notable to recover than this story it sets the template for unit even though unit hadn't been thought about it. it's the first appearance of alexander lethbridge stewart it's the recurrence of the yeti it's the second appearance of the great intelligence which we all know from recent episodes has become quite a big figure again uh it's regarded as one of the best designed episodes uh it, in large parts of it's set within the london underground system and one of the nice little stories about that is the BBC applied for permission to film there. London Underground said no. So the BBC went and built sets that were so accurate that London Underground they filed complaints with the BBC that they 
crept into the tunnels and filmed without their permission in there. <laughs> One of the great things about that story, too, is, I mean, th- that story scared the mess out of British kids because they felt like, here's a Doctor Who alien in a Earth setting. Like, if you know, it's one thing when you see an alien on an alien world. It's not that scary. But when you see an alien in a place where you go every day, in this case being the London Underground, it scared kids a lot more. It stuck with kids. This became one of the classic episodes that everyone talked about. Growing up, this was actually one of the first Target books I owned, the Web of Fear book. And I read this thing over and over and over. And I am so excited about having the opportunity to actually see this for the first time. Yeah, the um, I consider the Web of Fear recovery to be really personal to me because, similar thing to you, the Target novelization was one that really struck with me. That and um, Invasion from Series 6 are two novels I can almost recite yeah. I've read them that many times um, and I just resign myself I'm never going to see this nah, you know, that's fine one day I'll listen to the audio but otherwise I've got this great novelization by Terence Dix and then when the rumours start hitting that it's this one specifically that has been found and we're going to see it, it, it was quite something it really really blew my mind now, now, I want to speak to a second to some of the fans who are listening that haven't watched a lot of classic Who. Like maybe they're listening to Who True Freaks to get a little more educated about the Who universe, or maybe they're just starting to dip their toe in it. If you have, and, and we haven't covered any Patrick Trotton episodes yet. If you haven't seen any Patrick Trotton folks, you're in for a treat. He is probably one. Of, well, it's all based on opinion, but he's he's absolutely one of my favorite doctors. Uh, of the classic doctors, he is probably my favorite, right up there with uh, Peter Davison. Very, worlds apart in difference, but he is a wonderful, lovable, funny, endearing character. He's got a presence that you just can't ignore. In fact, when Matt Smith was getting ready to become Doctor Who, and he was trying to figure out how to play the Doctor, he watched, um, I think it was Tomb of the Cybermen, wasn't it? He, he wa- yeah, he, he watched was Tomb- the first one to go to. Yep, he watched Tomb of the Cybermen, he picked up the phone, he called Stephen Moffat, and he said, I found how I'm going to play the Doctor. And if you if you watch some Patrick Trottons, and then you watch some Matt Smiths, there's definitely some similarities in there. Patrick Trotton just had this whimsy about him, and, and, and other times he had this darkness. I mean, he's so versatile and so good, and his stories are so incredible. I can watch him again and again and again. In fact, what I've been doing since this news broke, I have um, I've been sort of celebrating myself. By I picked out a Patrick Trotton old uh, VHS tape I have that I've never watched. There's two Patrick Trotton episodes in my collection. For some reason, I never got around to watching. And once I realized I hadn't watched them, I've been sort of saving them, almost like you'd save a fine wine. And I've never seen the Dominators or the Crotons. So when this news broke, I got out the Dominators, and I've been watching one episode at a time, just at, at my own pace, and just loving every gorgeous second of it. Well, speaking of gorgeous, I've noticed that they released these, uh, at least in America and the UK, on iTunes, and they've done a really impressive remastering of them. The the picture quality, from what I've seen in the clips of it, looks really great. Did uh, the BBC mention anything about what they did with the remastering? I've not seen any details in terms of specifically what they've done, um, but the timing of the announcement was very much about uh, I know there's been a lot of anger online so the BBC has known they've had these for ages why haven't they said anything and it's like you got to weigh it up do you want to know about it six months ago than gripe and bitch that you can't watch them for ages or did you want to find out that you've got them and then pop onto iTunes minutes later spend some money and be able to watch them straight away mm-hmm. and not, oh, only, um, not only watch them straight away but 
watch them in just beautiful restored uh, the, the the picture quality is amazing from what I've seen it was it was absolutely the right way to do this I mean yeah like you said they've known since June about this and now yeah they, they absolutely waited till they could sell them to people which is the smart thing to do it's the mm-hmm. way to go if you're a business so uh, they found these episodes uh, in fact the BBC didn't find them at all um, there's this chap Philip Morris who is the cigarette guy mm-hmm yeah, he was in the X Files. Okay. Go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what he does, he he the, he has this company and he basically funds himself going around TV stations in Africa. Uh, all these different um, TV stations that would have had good relationships with the BBC going back to the colonial days when you know they were governed by the UK and things like that. And he basically goes and does work for them to help whatever they promise they have and part of his payment is hey I'd like to look at whatever you've got lying around and he goes and he finds stuff um, the nine episodes that we've got first were first rumoured um, on uh, everyone's favourite site Bleeding Cool <laughs> uh, months and months and months ago and, uh, well I say first rumoured I mean the first time the rumours were sort of made aware to anyone who didn't lurk around in sub forums of sub forums of forums on Outpost Gallifrey or Gallifrey Base, whatever it's called. Um, so it was the first time these were sort of put out there for everyone to look at. And what was suggested is that somewhere in the region of 80 to 90 episodes have been located. I'll let those numbers sink out. The 106, that's somewhere in the region of 80% of those have been located. And it, they can say, oh, we have these somewhere. Now, there's a lot of conjecture going on around this, but the the joining of the dots is really quite interesting. And you know, do go and have a look at the various articles that have been posted over the past few months of Bleeding Cool, because um, there's some interesting detective work. Um, a lot of it seems to hinge on, on a shipment from Philip Morris's company from somewhere in Africa to Manchester, um, containing a crap ton of film reel. Uh, it appears that there's at least one episode of Dad's Army that has been found because the BBC have kind of, uh, I think they've put, either put out a, a thing saying, oh, Dad's Army DVD containing this episode. Um, but yeah, it's understood that there's, uh, that's that. Um, a lot of the denials that have come uh, have now been revealed to be people just blatantly saying no. And that includes Philip Morris himself going, I don't know what this is about. And it turns out, yes, he absolutely did. Um, what uh, has been suggested is that uh, whilst the copyright lands with lies with the BBC the physical artifact is owned by Philip Morris's company so uh, they haven't all been sold to the BBC so you're suggesting that the other episodes still exist the, 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 these the other 70 episodes have been found and BBC is just eventually going to get their hands on them and release them yeah, and there are there are suggestions that Philip Morris has got quite a high price tag attached to them, or that the BBC didn't want to buy them all 80-odd outright. There, there was an element of need to assess the commercial value of them. Hmm. Uh, it could be that the BBC are own more, but are working to restore. Hmm. Um, it could also be that they're wanting to sort of space these out. If they actually do have more episodes of Doctor yep. Who, that they don't want to just put a glut out of there and then just get people not interested string them out you know uh, let people get interested and watch the few and then bring out some more you know next year um bleeding cool felt confident enough to actually name some of the episodes and they they, they allege that there is episode four of the tenth planet mm. interesting um, that's a, that's the first it, besides the regeneration episode if you don't know that's the first cyberman episode as well yeah 
which is being released on DVD shortly where the episode 4 has been animated so you, you have to wonder if there's a commercial aspect of well we've just paid an animation company X thousand pounds to do this let's uh, let's put that to the back of the queue for remastering for release and we can do it in three years time yeah so it's, it, it's just again. like yeah it's just like when they do a film over here they give you the vanilla release first and then they give you the collector's edition mm-hmm. you know six, yeah. six to eight months later so uh, what was very unusual about the Bleeding Call report and why I'm willing to put a lot more stock in it than a lot of stuff that comes up on there um, is that at least two posts laid out the working, the, the, the sources and how the things have been put together to reach this point. Whereas obviously should Johnson be reporting something that's happening with DC, like, I, I don't know, say the, the rumour that there's a five years later thing happening in DC, there are clearly no sources named. So the fact that he went to the detail of actually laying out where all the information has come from suggests that there's more to this than than just, oh, look, he's trying to get some hits or take mm-hmm. advantage mm-hmm. of the 50th anniversary. So I'd be very surprised if we didn't hear something soonish, maybe by the end of the year, maybe early next year. Well, the smart thing to do, I mean, today's, you know, the middle, early October, they've got the big anniversary special on November 23rd. You know, after it, right now, the, the cogs in the machine are going to be pushing that out there. The minute that's over, you know, they're going to try and sell a DVD of, of the 50th anniversary special. And then when the, what do they have next that they can sell? Well, you, you, you know, December 1st or something, you start the machines going on, hey, you can get this new one just in time for Christmas. It's, I don't know, uh, Power of the Daleks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Evil uh, the Daleks would be a smart one to do next, but... If they, if, they, if, they, if they had it. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about what is, you know, Sean started talking about the iTunes stuff. I just want to talk about how successful this has been selling across iTunes. Because the way you can get your hands on this, folks, it is available on iTunes right now. Uh, I don't know what the English England price is, but in America, it's, uh, I think, $9.99 for you get the whole story of Web of Fear or the whole story of Enemy of the World for each. Really? It's 15 quid. Oh, no, it isn't. No, it's $9.99. Sorry, it was reported wrong. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and. It is doing, ex- and that's for the digital download. It's doing exceptionally well. You know, obviously in the UK, uh, it, it's the number one and two slot. And, th- and this, by the way, this reports as of Friday, October 11th. The yeah. the at Web of Fear and Any in the World were the two number one series downloads, uh, beating out things like Homeland and Breaking Bad and Downton Abbey. Beating Downton Abbey, which is crazy for us here in America. We think that's the only thing you guys watch over there. And then in the United States, this is what blew my mind. Enemy of the World and Web of Fear in the top season sales are beating, or at least Enemy of the World is beating Breaking Bad and Walking Dead. That is unbelievable here in the United States. Now, I don't know how long they held that spot. It may have only been for an hour. I don't know. But that is incredibly noteworthy that Doctor Who could beat Breaking Bad and Walking Dead. That's just shocking. And that something that is 47, 48 years old can do that as well. Um, because I guess unlike when they release DVDs of stuff at the moment, you've got people who have owned it on uh, VHS. You've got people who have watched bootlegs of it at conventions. You have listened to the audio tracks, stuff like that. You, you could not have seen this unless you were alive in 1968. Mm, and true. I was chatting to a guy in the pub last night who was about seven at the time and has very, very vague memories. It's like, I can't believe I'm getting to watch this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's because the entire world gets to see this for the first time in one lump. 
and it, it's just it is absolutely fantastic um, it's, it's, it's funny I mean people at home who have no connection or context to this probably think we're just doofy crazy and silly for being excited about this but your Star Trek example really made a lot of sense yeah mm-hmm. imagine if the Gorn episode of Star Trek hadn't been seen in 40 years and it was suddenly available for the first time you guys would lose your friggin' minds. Or imagine if Empire Strikes Back had been seen the one time and never seen again. And, you know, you'd heard the legends, you'd read the, the book, you'd seen the comic, whatever. And you were one like, I finally get to see it. That's what's going on for us. So, mm-hmm. And um, I think that just to... I know we're, we're coming to the end of our, our allotted time for this. Just from a, an emotional point of view, the press conference was held on Thursday in London. In attendance were Fraser Hines, who played the companion Jamie, and Deborah Watling, who played the companion Victoria. Um, for Deborah Watling, she was watching one of the episodes that they showed, and the character of Professor Travers in that series is, was played by a late father, Jack Watling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Mm. Not just she wasn't just going oh great episodes of Doc Two back I get to see another one of my episodes because she was really only in series five so a lot of her stuff's missing but to sit there and watch her father at, at, at his in his prime do his job must have been a really really wonderful experience and something that if it hadn't taken place in Doc Two meant that it might not have had that desire to go and find it from the fans. That's really special. Yeah. Now, also yeah. worth mentioning in attendance um, for you folks who may be sort of somewhat new to Doctor Who. Uh, also in attendance at the at the press conference was Mark Gatiss, and he you may know him better as Mycroft from Sherlock Holmes or from from Sherlock. He's a, he turns out he's a huge Doctor Who fan and been very involved for years. He's a writer. He's an actor. He's he's been involved for Doctor Who for a very very long time. But a lot of people know him now solely as Mycroft. Uh, or one of the developers of the Sherlock show as well. So I mean, this 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 reaches out and touches a lot of people. This is a, this is I mean, you just said you're down to the pub talking about it. I mean, that's obviously big news over in England. So I, I'll, I'll clarify, it was a it was a, a geeky meetup at a pub. Oh, okay. So it wasn't just I was uh, hello, just turn around and say so you Doctor Who episodes? Oh yeah, no, it was people who were we we meet up because we we are sci-fi fans. Gotcha. But now. These are going to be released on DVD, uh, starting in England. Enemy of the World will be released November 25th on DVD. Web of Fear on February 24th, 2014. I don't know the exact release dates for the United States. I I assume that's happening, but I don't see listed here that anything specific. I think it's more of a, it's assumed it will come out in the United States a little later. Um, they, they're currently planned to be vanilla releases, which is slightly disappointing. Um in terms of the fact that we're just getting the episodes, we're getting no extras, no commentary or anything like that. Um, well, they they, yeah. don't, they haven't had enough time for that. I mean, there's two things, two factors here. One, they, they've only had six months to get these things cleaned up and get out and packaged and out the door. The other side of it, too, is that, you know what, it gives them a chance a year from now to come back with us, or two years from now with a fancy edition. Exactly. Yeah, and it could be... I mean, my, the hope would be that there would be a, a nice feature update about the hunt for these episodes and what's still missing. Of course, we don't know what the BBC knows. We don't know what Philip Morris knows. So anything they put out now could be disingenuous because they're putting out something, oh, it's great that we've got these back, and who knows when we'll see another episode. And as that DVD comes out, the BBC going, hey, we've got some more, and we've yeah. had them for six months. So we will see. But it is absolutely, if you're one of these people who's got all the DVDs and start making space 
<laughs> because you need to fit these two in. I know, I've, I've got a bunch of... I've, I've still got all my VHSs because I figured I'm not going to rebuy these. <laughs> well, I'm not going to rebuy these things, and I've still got a VCR. Yeah. Um, this is the first time in a long time that I've said, wow, I get to add something new to the collection that's never been in there before. Mm. Looking forward to it. So, I, I think to sum up, is that this has been one of the biggest Doctor Who announcements in years. I mean, yes, we're all getting excited about the anniversary special and the potential for other Doctors to be in it and John Hurt, but genuinely, this is the biggest news I think I've seen all year, apart from maybe the John Hurt news. Well, I, I think it all kind of depends on your point of view. I would say this is the biggest classic Who news in years, absolutely. Yeah, oh, well, definitely from that point of view, but I, I think where my personal thing is I don't want to know much about an episode before it hits. Therefore, people might be going, oh, yeah, so-and-so is appearing in this episode. You know, they, they, someone might be going around saying, oh, yeah, no, Clark's filmed the scene. I'm like, well, and I'm not that first. I'll see it when I see it. With this, it's like, this is something we never thought we'd see. Mm-hmm. And we, we, even the most optimistic people said, oh, we'll probably get an episode back at some point to have an entire serial. Well, that's what I think a lot of modern Doctor Who uh, viewers may not know is that the fact that there are so many of these episodes lost and what the and how amazing it is that they're able to find these and get them restored and get them out to the public so people can view these lost episodes and find out what Doctor Who came from and what the modern show eventually evolved into or evolved from. So, yeah, this is awesome. This is awesome news. And it's a great one to start. Great ones to start with. Patrick Trotton is such a good doctor. He's so much fun. And uh, as we said, he was the template for Matt Smith. So I think you guys go out there, get these on iTunes. You're gonna enjoy them. You're gonna love them. And then, uh, and if within the next another month, couple months, we're gonna do a Patrick Trotton episode for Who Two Freaks. And, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah this definitely. this sounds like a good idea. But uh, anyone have any last uh, last comments, last notes, anything? I'm so happy. <laughs> if you want to try it before you buy it, go out to YouTube. There is a uh, there's a Doctor Who channel, and they actually have like two minute trailers for each Enemy of the World and um, uh, Web, Web of Fear. Fear. Web of Fear. Yeah. And I tell you what, after seeing the trailers, I think I'm a little more excited about Enemy of the World than I am Web of Fear, which mm. bl- which I never thought I would say. But Enemy of the World, the drama in it looks so good. They really sold it in that one little clip that that you had linked to on that site. That was yeah. that was really really brought me to one in, <clears throat> brought me to want to watch that episode. So mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, everyone, uh, go check these out. They are on iTunes for download, at least here in the states and the UK. Uh, reasonable price. Uh, and uh, I would like to say, if it does come out on DVD, please go through the link at Two True Freaks and go to Amazon.com and get them. So, uh, thanks everyone for listening to this little quick news flash episode of Who True Freaks, and uh, we will catch you probably later this month. Talk to you guys later. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. 
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for... Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, two True Freaks. Freaks.